Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 142. It's been a while since I recorded, so I hope I'm not too rusty. But it's a pleasure today to be joined by Sadie Shore Parks. And here's a little bit about Sadie. She teaches writing at Shepherd University, where she's the director for the Society for Creative Writing. She's the author of Honey Month, which is from Main Street Rag. That'll be the, the main thrust of our conversation today. Her writing has previously appeared or is forthcoming in Appalachian. Oh, we'll talk about the, the pronunciation of that word in a minute, but Appalachian Heritage. Aquifer, The Florida Review, Blue Line, Cimarron Review, The Hong Kong Review, Lines and Stars, Painted Bride Quarterly, Sierra Nevada Review, Southwest Review, Utney Reader, and Witness, among others. Her book reviews can be found in Los Angeles Review of Books and Southern Literary Review. She edited Becoming International, Musings on Studying Abroad in America, which came out through Parlor Press. Hello and good afternoon. I guess it's evening for you. Yeah, it's eight o'clock here, actually. <laughs> well, thank you for staying up late. I appreciate oh, I'm it. I'm happy to. <laughs> how are you doing today? And how did I do on the bio? Anything you'd like to add? No, the bio is perfect. And I'm doing really good today. Had a nice weekend. I, um, I'm back to teaching on Monday at Shepherd. So. <laughs> okay. So what kind of, what classes are you teaching this term? So I'm teaching the uh, writing and rhetoric, which is the English 101 class, okay. which is actually my favorite class to teach that. Yeah. And I teach creative writing sometimes too, but mostly that 101 class and we're doing peer review tomorrow. So that'll be fun. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Now, now is that like, is that like workshop, like hardcore, like everyone reads your work and, and comes in ready? Like, is that what you're talking about? So I wish we could do it a bit like workshop. And I think I approach it that way a bit, but it's like them exchanging papers on their okay. personal narratives. And then they give each other notes. Um, then we talk about like how it goes. I don't know. Peer review is really hard in college, you know? So. <laughs> uh, oh, I love the personal narrative. I would, I would always, I, I'm not teaching English this year. I, you know, most years I've taught it. I'm just doing Spanish this year, but like with my high school students, I love teaching at first. You get to know them so yeah. well, right? That's it. I signed it as my first paper too, for that same reason. Yep. And then you're just like, whoa, they all have very full lives that right. it just is a nice reminder. You know, yeah. you do get to know them really well. Do you give them like, do you give them a pretty open-ended prompt? Is it just like any formative, you know, transformational or like, I mean, what, what's yeah. the, kind of like the, the prompt? So for the personal narrative, they can just write about any moment in their life. It should happen at least a year ago. So there's uh -huh. time to reflect on it. But you know, it's interesting. Um, one time I told them, like, just tell me about a time you communicated well. And they really use it to tell some pretty astounding life stories that happened mm -hmm. to them, almost regardless of the prompt. Right. So I think they're kind of waiting to like get some things off their chest. Uh -huh. And then, you know, the first time you're like, oh, will you tell me? And then a lot comes out. Yes. I still, I still think of some that I've read. I, I remember one of the students that probably had her like at least 10 years ago. 
and I still remember her personal narrative. You know what I mean? Like there's some that just stick with. Oh yeah. And some of their insights really stick with me too. I had a student talk about how your identity is like a foundation you build on, not a cage you stay in. And I was like, Whoa, (laughs) truly still shapes how I view identity. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to edit that part out on the recording. I'm going to use that in one of my, (laughs) I never existed, never existed. Yeah. I feel like I'm a good company because I, I like, you know, the idea that you talk about, like, it, it has to be more than a year away. Yeah. For perspective, I, I, I tell them something similar. So yeah, someone it's true. With skill instead of saying that, that I'm, I'm in good company. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, that's, I think, the nice tension, especially in any sort of memoir work, the eye that is seeing the event as it happens versus mm-hmm. the eye that's reflecting on it and how the more different those are, I think the better the story is both in personal narratives and poetry and kind right. of all art forms. But that's like a nice tension to develop for sure. Well, I want to co- I want to come back to that when we talk about Honey Month. I have I have some questions about like perspective and mm-hmm. looking back. So that's that's awesome. So yeah, I mean, I'd love to know a lot of the the podcast ethos is about like the the foundations of of reading and writing and just you know pure love of of literature and poetry and fiction and nonfiction and just art. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know about growing up. You said you grew up in Philly, excuse yeah. Philadelphia. Sorry, I don't know if I can call it Philly if I'm not from there. You definitely can Thank you. and Thank should. You. <laughs> no, should. Uh, growing up in Philly and just, um, you know, what were you reading? Like, was it a print rich environment? Were you yeah, yeah. poetry right away? And just, I guess, just how art played into your childhood as well. So even before I moved to Philly, I grew up for a couple, like for my first six years in Pittsburgh. And my parents were both grad students in the English department at okay. University of Pittsburgh. So there was lots of books and reading in the house. And we also lived for a couple of years with this really amazing poet, Lubomir Nikolov from Bulgaria, who has a bunch of collections out. Mm. So I, you know, poetry was all around when I was growing up. And I always, I swear, even when I was really young, I was like, I'm going to be a poet when I grow wow. up. I sort of always really liked it and thought it seemed fun. And then in high school, I read so much, way more than I can even imagine reading now. I don't know if you're the same way, but in high school, I feel like I could stay up all night reading and I was just like book after book. And now, I don't know. Now it's a lot harder to do that, but I read a lot of poetry in high school. Um, I had this one book that was, I think it was like a thousand immortal poems of the English language Mm. that I I think I basically had memorized by the end of high school. I was reading it so much. And then I really loved E.E. E. Cummings a okay. lot in high school, Allen Ginsberg. And then I had this anthology, Bum Rush the Page, um, that I read all the time, yeah. too. That's like spoken word. Yes. Poetry. Yeah. So I really love that. I still love that. Right. Um, and then I liked the beatniks a ton, too, when I was in high school. Like Allen Ginsberg okay. was one of my favorites. Yeah. Um, and I wrote a lot of bad poetry myself in high school, too. <laughs> <laughs> so that was also good. Do you still have any of that bad poetry? I do. I found some recently and it was so much worse than I remembered. Oh, no. You know, normally you look back and you're like, hey, there was like some promise there. Um, but yeah, no, it wasn't. It was a lot of like, uh, I don't know, like I, I can look back and say that wasn't true. What I was saying, I wasn't feeling that way at the time I wrote this. Oh. Like, So it's kind of weird. I'm not sure why I would lie in my own poetry or diary, like whatever back then, but <laughs> <laughs> so like it was like an affectation to like kind of were you trying to like emulate yeah. what you read or yeah I think I was trying to emulate what I read and what I thought maybe I should how I should be responding to stuff okay. so they were maybe sadder than I actually were uh was feeling that <laughs> or like you know just like I talk a lot about like being in the city and like trying to seem so cool uh, I look back at them and I'm like 
I was really trying to seem very cool in these and yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, um, in one of the poems and it, you know, it goes to the idea too, of like the whole speaker as poet, poet as speaker, yeah. you know, you can play the fifth if you want, you can say, yes, that's me hundred percent or that's the exaggerated version of me. But one of the, in one of the, some of the, the lyrics, some of the, the, the phrasing from your, your poem is the following quote. She showed me, she referring to mom. Yeah. She showed me the art in my cluster of scraps. So yeah. I wonder like about art, like visual art, you have the, the you know, beautiful painting in back of your paintings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are you a visual artist? Have you been, is that a muse for you? I studied art history in undergrad and I really like doing like painting and calligraphy um, and all of that. My husband's much more of the visual artist. So he's a really gifted uh, painter and that's definitely his medium okay um but yeah I really do love uh doing any type of art that line in particular I think about um like what my mom was sort of how she was like encouraging me to see myself in like the best light maybe and how mm. my childhood and her childhood were pretty different um even growing up just those first couple of years in Pittsburgh and uh how much she sort of like gave to me intellectually in a way okay. when I was growing up and sort of set me up in that way. Um, but I mean, that's, that poem's also a lot about the influence that like families have on the way you see yourself, the way you have like your body image right. um, and class and like a lot of stuff. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's I'm happy you pulled that line out because that's one of my own favorite poems in the collection. Oh, it is. Remind me the name of that one. I think it's called, wow, I should really know this. <laughs> no, it, you have a lot of them. I don't, I don't, I don't blame Yeah, you. I think it's called, um, wow, how can I not think of it? Craze Counted Carefully, of course. That's why it's called Craze okay. Counted Carefully. Okay. And it's on um, a flip poem. So like the first half of the poem is written in one form. And then the lines right. are repeated, but with the syntax reversed. Yes. So it's kind of it's supposed to be at like mother and daughter, kind of that mirror going on. Right. Yeah. That's one of my favorite um like not prompts, but forms for writing poems. So okay, yeah, no, that definitely comes through in the collection. And you know, I really enjoyed the. I mean, even just that one line we're talking about the, the scraps. You know, I read that as the the scraps from the speaker, but the way you explain it, it's almost like they could be those scraps from mom too. You know, from the previous. Yeah, generation. yeah, and I think scraps is very much. I always think of like leftover things. Mm -hmm. Actually, especially in grad school, a lot of the art that I was making. Um, I feel like it was just from like leftover like cardboard or like literal okay. trash. Oh. One of my first essays I published was about um, this robot I made called Sadie Bot. And yeah. I made from like a bunch of like old clothes and boxes and stuff. And I mean, that's used to be, I think, how I made every everything. And this idea of like, it feels better to make a piece of art when you've repurposed it from something mm -hmm. that was very worthless. Right. Um, even with uh, negative experiences, like if you can turn that into a poem, there's something very good about that. Okay. Um, kind of like an alchemy effect that's I think really rewarding. Um, and I think in visual arts, especially, I tend to, I don't know, waste materials. <laughs> uh, so I end up uh kind of repurposing some stuff. And I just like I like how that looks too. Right. So you so no so so Sadie Bot, no other name. No, you didn't want to have like no. a dream name of Sadie Bot. All right. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's funny. I feel like I named, especially when I was younger, whenever I got the chance to name something, I was like, um, Sadie. <laughs> because like, I don't know. I think it's a good name. I almost named my daughter Sadie, actually. Oh, wow. But I didn't at the last minute. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I guess you could always change that. or in, in, I could. She would have been a good Sadie, but she's uh, Esther now. <laughs> oh, that's a beautiful name. Oh, thank you. Speaking of beauty, like my transition there. The, <laughs> the beauty of language, you know, is obviously such a part of poetry and you have so many beautiful phrases and lines and you know syntax and just usage I wonder you know now back then in college high school who are some of the writers who really you know give you chills at will we talk about through this podcast like those those lines that you can quote it quote at will those lines that you can you know doesn't necessarily mean you have to literally quote quote them word for word but just like that you could summon forth right now if you want you know what I mean oh yeah I mean there's a couple and it's funny it's like you don't pick the poems that have that effect on you mm-hmm. sometimes they're not even by your favorite authors it's just like you read it and you almost have to like set the book down because you're like yes. oh, god it's so good so one poem that is stuck in my mind right now I just can't shake it is this poem by Warren Shire women who are for women who are difficult to love mm-hmm. I almost had to pull over my car the other day to read it on my phone because I was like craving reading it so bad Oh. I mean, it's just a fantastic poem. She's a really great writer in general. Um, and then Marianne Baruch is a poet that I think has a way with words that tricks you into thinking it's going to be so casual and breezy. Sure. And then there's this core underneath that just like stings you. And it's so powerful. And mm. I'm really impressed by her. And then my forever poet, like the poet that I could, my desert island poet would be <laughs> Louise Glock. Okay. And um you know, at the end of my suffering, there was a door is such an amazing line and everything. I mean, every truly almost every poem she's written is just breathtaking. Uh, So I don't know who my favorite is. And then there's still some like E. Cummings poems from high school Mm -hmm. that just have stuck with me from then. Um, But I would say right now, I mostly read a lot of a contemporary poetry that's just like out in the lit journals so some of my favorite poems I don't even know if I could recall the poet's name off the top of my head even though their lines are like seared in my brain Mm -hmm. as weird as that sounds no I hear you that makes a lot of sense Louise Louise Glug got her got her Nobel right she did so well deserved that was such a great choice Mm -hmm. um and then uh, Ada Lamont just became yes. the poet laureate, which is another where I was like, yes. great choice. That was such an exciting, like, that's probably who I would have picked. So that was really mm-hmm. exciting when that happened too. And she's another poet who just knocks it out of the park every time. Andrea Cohen um, okay. is another great one. The Committee Weighs In, I think is the title of yeah. the really famous oh, one. Oh, I was just thinking right? about that one the other day. Is that the From one Three that's Penny the Review. Line? Yeah. That's the one where they... She pretends her mother's alive. Yeah, I pretend I won the Nobel and she pretends she's not dead. I mean, you know, it's interesting. Lately, the only thing I want to read are uh, short stories with like twist endings, almost like (laughs) sci-fi ones. And I've noticed as I was revising my newest uh, bit of poetry that it's creeping in to my poetry. And I'm wanting these little twists at the end. I'm wondering if I should edit those out or not. But um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like like oh henry poetry kind of thing yeah yes <laughs> uh, well well maybe we can make a trade could you could you give me like um i saw ada limon when she was named poet laureate i'd see like just online like love people love her i mean she seemed like she's, she's such so a great amazing. global you know poetry citizen or whatever you want to say yeah she's so well deserved what would be like a good place to start like a good one or two hmm. of hers 
So I would say, depending on what you've read already, the hurting kind is her most recent one and is very, very good. So is the carrying. One of my favorite poems about her, I can't remember the title now, but it's about horses and it's very, it's like about a about grief. Um, that's really powerful. Man, and then there's another one she has that's so good that I also can't remember the title of. That's like, how did I not see the blessing in this the whole time? That's about um, like the parents, okay. but uh, I'm just kind of selling it short. It's really powerful when you read it. Okay, that's, that's a good start. Yeah, um, that's where I would start, I think. I mean, yeah. you can't go wrong with either of those books. So. Right. You were talking about the uh, the twist endings, and it's it's not it's not sci-fi, but I, I'm going to recommend to you, maybe you've read it, it's, um, it's Borges. Yeah. Jorge Luis Borges. And it's called The Gospel According to Mark. Oh, so I, it's so funny. I have a tab open on my computer right now from one of his short stories with a twist ending. It's the one about the senator. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know yeah, so it. what's his, the book of Mark it's, it's called, called? It's called The Gospel According to Mark. And I think- The Gospel According to Mark. I think if you Google it, I think it'll come up as, I think you can still free, you can read the New York, when it was in the New Yorker back in the seventies or whatever. So this is such a treat. I feel like I've been exhausting all of these short stories with twist endings. So I'm very yeah. happy to have this no, new recommendation. This is, that, that, that's one where you kind of like at the end, you're like, oh, oh that's the best. You know. And it's funny, you can read it knowing there's going to be a twist ending and still it, right. it changes the way you approach it, but it still like works. I don't know. Right. I'm Right. I'm really liking them these days. I, I would have my students. I was I was introduced to to Shirley Jackson's The Lottery by a colleague. Oh yeah. I hadn't read it till like three years ago or something. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously, a, whoa. That's and, a know, twist. Once, yeah. Once you read it for a second time, you're like, you, you know, you read it with a different different yeah. eye, and you're like, oh wow, oh that the rocks and they were getting together in the circle. And, That's such a gift when a writer can write something that has a twist surprise, but still rewards a rereading of it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Because you just notice more about it. It feels more well-deserved. Right. Um, I'm so impressed when people are able to do that. Yeah. Exactly. You know, with with creating, like, were you were you able to get into, like, did you do grad school for creative writing? Yeah. Um, and I guess just about like any eureka moments or or a moment where you're mm-hmm. like, I can do this. I've been doing this for a long time. You said with poetry, but like, yeah, people people enjoy it. It resonates with them. Like, I can do mm-hmm. this for a living, or I I want to do this, or anything like that. So grad school was a really great time for writing because, you know, everyone in my cohort was doing creative writing. You have a lot of free time. So I could live, I feel like really indulge in living kind of like creatively and artistically. And it was really dreamy in that way. And I think something I'm always still kind of trying to recreate in my life, that feeling of like, all I have to do right now is like art and like that will be a good day and that will be like productive and that will be how I contribute to society And I think that's kind of a hard thing to negotiate sometimes because you don't want to be too self-indulgent and do something that isn't helping people um, and too inward looking, you know, that isn't necessarily a good life. But I think, uh, you know, as I've kind of been able to negotiate that and figure out how my writing and my teaching can be like helpful to other people, that's been really nice. And um, I think one of the moments where I was like, I can really do this. Um, 
Well, one was after my book already came out. I got to do a reading in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, my hometown. So that was really oh, nice. And there was like a really big crowd and it just felt so good. Every, you know, it was a really nice, like responsive crowd. And I was like, all right, like mm -hmm. this is happening. And um, a bunch of the poems take place in Philly. So like walking around that felt really good. Um, another time I felt really like I can do this is uh, when we were moving into where I live now and I got like all the journals I'd been in to move. And I was like, okay, this is like a lot. This is heavy. Like I have made some progress. Sometimes you have a big goal. You forget that progress is being made that like, you're already doing it. You started like steps have been taken because you just think like, I want to have this certain thing. Um, and I think also, yeah, I don't know. I think that it's also maybe like the only job that I would really be good at is like teaching and doing poetry. Every other job I have had very not good success with, um, like working in retail. Actually, I got in trouble for writing poems on the back of the receipts and stuff. Then when I stocked shelves, um, I was just like working on poems in my head the whole time. And that job didn't work out great. Um, but with like teaching and writing, I feel like I can do it. It just once I have to leave that, I'm a lot less successful. Yeah, you are where you're meant to be, right? That's a great, that's a much more positive yeah. way to look at it. Yeah, <laughs> I found my little spot in the world and it's been working out nice. And yeah. And there's nothing like the the the, the hard copies of those journals, right? Oh my gosh, there really isn't. Even though I, this is something I go back and forth on because what I read is almost entirely online print journals. I think I read more on my phone sure. than anything because that's like how I encounter it. So sometimes when I publish something in print, I feel like it's gone forever. Mm. Like if it's not also online, one of my favorite things I've written was the essay called Growl that was in Simran Review. But it, since it's not also online, I almost, I almost feel like no one's ever going to be able to read it if they don't subscribe or they don't get a copy from the library. Sure. So um, I'm very partial to online publications. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. That's what I read a ton. Yeah. So. Well, so Honey Month is the one that is the most recent collection. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to paraphrase too much or I don't want to put words in your mouth too much, but it it's based on uh, like the honeymoon month, I guess. Yeah. Right? The idea of like um, the cicadas. I was going to say cicadas, but cicadas, right? <laughs> cicadas. Right. And there was a there was a plague, a biblical plague now. But I just like to know what, you know, just the seeds for the book. You know, I guess that goes yeah. in with the significance of the title. So I had that summer off because of how my teaching schedule was in grad school. Okay. And we actually had got, we kind of like eloped in the winter, but we were doing our honeymoon and doing a lot of traveling. Um, we were calling it like our honey month in the summer. <laughs> and I was writing a ton during that time. And it happened that the cicada plague hit West Virginia at the same time. So, you know, mm. everything was just like coated in cicadas and there was this like sound everywhere. And it wow. felt like a moment, like, Oh, this is like my honeymoon month is going on and there's a cicada plague and like, you know, we were getting ready to move and stuff like that. And looking back, it's funny because this was the summer of 2016. Okay. And I just see online a lot of people are like, that was the best summer like ever. Um, so I think it was a like a lot of people experienced that summer. But um, I think, you know, so cicadas spent 17 years underground and then they come up, they all mate and eat and they basically like all die. And I was, it really makes you think about, uh, or for me, it made me think about how long things kind of stay under the surface. Mm. And then when they're ready to be made sense of, they can kind of come out and do something 
Um, but then they're done. You don't, you know, the cicada doesn't go back underground. You don't need to live in this moment forever, but it should come up at one point and be processed and then, <laughs> then can be gone. So I found, I mean, yeah. I could, cicadas are very interesting, yeah. I think. And I guess, so the, to me, the whole, the way they just change the sound, the look of the environment all at once that they all knew to come up at the same time. I was just like very taken by it. Right. Um, so I sat on my porch and wrote a lot of poems while listening to them. And Oh man, the great Gabby Bates. She was a, she was a guest on, on the, the podcast earlier. Um, she had a great, a loving review of your work. Oh, and, oh. right. That made me so happy because I'm such a fan of hers. Yes. Oh my gosh. I was so honored, honestly. Well, I'll make sure it included in the episode notes. Um, I think it's pretty recent, right? Yeah, it came out in late August. So I got to talk yeah. with her a lot this summer when she was in Rome, oh, like okay. leading up to going to Rome. So, I mean, she's very, she's very inspiring. So that was really exciting for me. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, again, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but she was, she was talking about some, one of the the poems said the girl to the mirror. Yeah. And it was something that, you know, basically like, it's this idea of like the face, like looking in the mirror, getting in the way of other things that you could see and just ideas yeah. of you know, perspective, right? Like the, the face in the mirror is right there, right in front of you. Um, I was, I'm, I'm thinking of like, um, you know, it's kind of a, kind of a hackneyed, you know, hackneyed complaint now, but this idea that like, you're at some beautiful event, you're at your kid's recital, or you're at a concert and everyone's taking a video of it. Yeah. Right. You're not experiencing it in the moment. And again, I'm not the first yeah. to say that, but I guess I'm just, um, I'm just wondering about, I guess that's how we get into perspective here. This idea of 2016 wasn't that long ago, but it's long enough for perspective. Mm -hmm. And just about how you were able to capture something that was so visceral, right? Like the, yeah. the cicadas, like literally, you know, you said they're making the sounds. How are you able to capture that when you write about it, even if it's a month later, two months later, like how are you able to get into that mindset, I guess? That's a really good question. It's actually something I was just talking about my students with too, because when you write about something sad, say for like a personal narrative, mm -hmm. you're right back in that moment. It's very emotionally taxing because, you know, you're sad again because you're thinking about it. Even if you're reprocessing it mm -hmm. into something nice, it's still unpleasant. Um, and it's hard to go back and revisit things and yeah. see them in a new light. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I'm kind of going to go with that classic no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader, mm -hmm. where you have to be really open to to reimagining past events and understanding them in new ways mm -hmm. um, if you're going to write about them. So you can't pick something that's too precious to you where you won't, you're not willing, there's no wiggle room to how you see it. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, it was, so with the girl with the mirror poem where, you know, trying to look out the window because of the way light works with on tr transportation, mm -hmm. even though you're facing forward, you're seeing your own reflection. It's, fogging what you're actually yes. able to process and see and just no matter what you're trying to look at you're seeing yourself you know what mm. I mean um and I think that's something that can be nice in poetry that it's all sort of a self-portrait but I think uh some of the really great poets are able to somehow <laughs> like remove themselves and give us this new right. give themselves a new look at the scenery and at themselves and it's really I really admire poets who are able to do that yeah, writing about something that happened in the past is weird. Huh. Um, that makes sense. Thank you. I like the the transportation and the seeing yourself in the mirror. That that idea really yeah. resonates there for sure. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was. Uh, I think it was on, on your Goodreads page for this. It was 
it was a very short review, but I'm like, yep, nailed it. Uh, <laughs> quote, there is an ease to Shore Park's writing voice that I appreciate. Oh, yeah. I actually remember that review. That one I liked. Yeah, that was really nice. That that comes through so much. It's just, you know, I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm sure you didn't have a, you know, mm-hmm. Gabriel Garcia Marquez moment where you spoke, <laughs> you supposedly wrote, wrote Hundreds of Solitude in like 24 hours or, you know. Yeah. Like, like I'm sure you didn't. This was not just flowing, flowing, flowing all the time. Yeah, it, it definitely not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but ease, ease is the word. And I mean, these as total compliments, you're it's a slow, it's slow poetry, you know, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's something where it, it's a quiet poetry, I think is a better way to say it. There's, I really like that description a lot. Right? Yeah, there's not a lot of explosions and crazy off the wall moments and chaos. But yeah. there's definitely a lot of emotion involved. There's definitely a lot of passion. But it's well, just, it's just, a, it's just a quiet poetry. Go ahead, please. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think that a lot of times poetry is the opposite of drama, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's taking these small moments and making them even quieter and smaller and more like approachable in a way. Sure. Um, and so I think that's something that's really important to me. And it's funny. So I do think that I, when I would edit my poetry, I wanted them to feel easy and conversational I'm a big like I was saying with Marianne Baruch the breeziness in her work or Frank O'Hare I think does this really well too it's something I really admire Mm -hmm. um so that I'm glad that that is also how you saw it because it's something that I I admire in um other people's poetry right and then I also though really like sort of the 16th 17th century poetry that's just like almost just like spitting game like there's like come live with me and be my love and like so then there's that funny like I always feel like there's some moments of that in my writing too um and I think those can work because the rest can be more conversational right I also was a young woman when I wrote this and I wanted it to sound like how I talked and like like a young woman I remember especially the bad poetry that I talked about myself writing earlier I thought I needed to sound like an old white man from like the 18th century for it to be poetic and be something anyone would want to read. And the more I shed that and the more I just wrote like my actual age and gender and self and how I would talk, the truer my poetry kind of became and the more positive feedback I got on it, honestly. Right. So when you're talking about like 16th century, is that like, uh, what's the famous poem? Like, do not go gently into the good night that- oh yeah so I don't know when he wrote that I don't know when Dylan Thomas wrote that yeah um yeah, so I think of that. like uh I, I would so I talked about the um pa- like the pastoral poetry had a okay. huge impact on me um and then like Merlot and uh like Shakespeare oh John Donne absolutely John Donne, right. just rocks my work like yeah. I just love, he is a chills at Wells poet for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just t- like absolutely takes my breath away. Right. Um, and that's funny. I feel like I go, I have an anthology of 16th, 17th century poetry that I really love, even though in many ways it couldn't be more different than the other things I read and like my yeah. own writing. Was, um, so, I, so I guess, sorry, I guess I was, I was wrong on it. I was opposite. So you, you were saying basically like that spitting game, like that was like lacking subtlety. It was, but it was yeah. also just so apparent and like, what it was trying to do and it's love sure. coach it's like come live with me and like there's right. a line in my book where it's like if the stars ever do collude then truly we were their work or something like that mm-hmm. and like just that whole thing of like the heavens want us to be together yeah. like my beauty like you know like <laughs> um, what the, she today. walks in 
and all the best of dark and light meet in her aspect and her eyes. Like that's so gorgeous, but it's so flirtatious at the same time. So I really like it. (laughs) Like our students would say bars. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Bars. Absolutely. Bars. So we were talking about the, um, you know, the, the quiet collection. And one of the poems is called, I will become a cold sky. But yeah. So many cool metaphors. Um, the, you know, pretty, the, the line would be, quote, no more flashy days for me, please. No more revealing it all for kicks. Now silence discloses itself to me. You know, now light, now night lays me down and leaves a cheese rind and cheese crumbs across my Appalachian sky. There's a lot of, um, you know, gazing at the sky throughout the collection, right? There's a lot of, um, again, just quiet. And obviously, you know, quiet engenders thoughts and reflection and it and it does the same for the reader. So um, there's chasing bread. Um, is that like your way of saying like hustle culture? No? So a little <laughs> bit, yeah. Just trying to like, you know, I just feel like back, the, this poem reflects a time when I, I think I was like an undergrad still. Mm-hmm. And we were just always scheming yep. to try to get farther along in our lives. <laughs> and just that feeling of, uh, while still having a lot to be grateful for, trying like, you know, how just not having, wanting more and trying to like get these scraps together and like get something done and just talking about it all the time. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You talked about when you were uh, you were young and you you know you like played up the emotions. You're like I wasn't really that sad and yeah. Like, I, I wrote this poem. I was probably like 14 and it was about like you know the beauty the beautiful the beauty of like the night sky kind of like yeah. kind of like uh, again hackneyed. And then at the end, I somehow made it into like this is us years later looking at the sky yeah, with, with our kids and it's just like well no what <laughs> yeah. I don't need uh, yeah you know I think that. <laughs> Also, what you're describing is like when you look at earlier poetry, you're like, oh my gosh, this was so intentional. I knew exactly yes. what I was going to say when I started this poem. Exactly. And I think that a lot of times my favorite poet poems sort of like dissolve as they go on. Yes. I think, um, I think that that is so appealing. Right. But yeah, I know exactly what you're talking. I mean, I do write about the moon and the night sky. And every time the moon comes into a poem I'm writing, I feel a little embarrassed. Because no. I'm like, oh, another poet talking about the moon. No. But there's you something about the sky that absolutely captures me. Um, I actually used to be in the cloud watching society. I was like really into there's it. Society? Always, yeah, there's a real, yeah. Oh. And they have, um, you can enter like a picture of a cloud every week and they pick like a oh. winner, but I never won. Um, oh, but no. yeah, so like, I'm always looking at the sky. I think it's amazing. It's like a gorgeous painting available to us at all times. Right. You can just look up and see the night or the day. Like, it's just always different. It's so cool. It's different colors all the time. Hmm. I would be, a, I'd love to be a spokesman for the sky. I think it's, <laughs> it's a great, no notes. <laughs> Public relations. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you pulled off. You, you, you do it very well. The way that you talk about nature, the sky in particular, you, oh, thank you. This, from chasing bread is quote for dinner, we slurp soup and suck down wine. We went to our deck, watched bats punctuate the pink sky. You painted your nails to match the holly bush, and I applied my blush to match the bats. We looked at our long lawn. Love that alliteration. Our Thank long you. lawn for more inspiration. We spit out fruit seeds. 
we retreated indoors, having gathered nothing but bug bites. Ooh, yeah, like you said, that's like it it, it dissolves. There, yeah, right? thank you. I really like that. I'm happy you picked that excerpt. And it, yeah, that was I enjoyed writing that poem a lot. But that one's a lot of there's a lot of sky. I mean, one of my favorite poems in here, I think it's called Bravo Sky Once Again, is about mm. kind of falling in love with my husband. Or I guess it's I'm imagining his perspective on it. Um right. But just that we used to always drive on 81, um, mm-hmm. it was like farmland, but it was in the Shenandoah Valley. So the clouds, because of the landscape, were so much more pronounced. And like, mm-hmm. I just had never seen anything like it. It really just kind of took my breath away. And um, I still think about that, actually. But yeah, so the sky is very influential. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I marked that one down. I marked that as the, um, like you said, the quotes, the stars collude. You know, bringing oh, about yeah. a love, bringing about a love that is inevitable. I love that part. Yeah. Right. Thank um, you. Yeah. I assume probably talking about the same person. What you know, the the metaphor of like oak, the oak tree is strength. That's also him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so go ahead. I guess especially because it was our like our honeymoon stuff when I was writing. There's a ton of love poetry in this book, yeah. um, and there's a. Uh, it also looks back at times when we had like broken up and stuff and like talking about how much I missed him mm-hmm. um, and kind of how I really think on again, off again, couples are like the most romantic. Like those are like <laughs> my favorite like movies and stuff. Um, and so I all, I, I think the way that someone's absence can kind of um, accentuate the way you're less yourself when they're not there. Right. Um, and just the that feeling of wanting to be with somebody so bad and it just isn't happening at that moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's really romantic. Um, so I guess I was thinking about that kind of stuff too, when I was writing it. So yeah, every, all the beloveds in this are the same, the same person. Right. The, um, you know, a lot of opposites, like, I don't know if opposite is the word, but like you talk about this idea that you have to, you have the absence and what's the expression it makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. Right. Um, the absence makes the, the the presence more more powerful yeah uh, right there's um some yeah great- and you're more yourself I think mm-hmm. that there's this way when you are not near someone you love there's mm-hmm. parts of yourself that don't get expressed sure um because they're just you know something that you talk about with them or um parts of you shrink and parts of you grow depending on who you're around mm-hmm. and I think sometimes really good relationships just you know it's like so cliche but like bring out your best parts mm-hmm. and um I think that's something I was interested in with like the cicadas and everything as I was writing this yeah the the best parts that you're talking about the best parts of like the relationship you know there's one poem called sleeping as two oh, and yeah. I, I just you you really use some interesting verbs I mean throughout the whole collection I love the uh, the blanket your body, you know, blanket as a verb. Yeah. Am- quote, amble your heels of breath rendered as grumbles. And then using earths as a verb, quote, sleep earths us. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, I mean, there's something very unique about um, falling asleep with the same person all the time and having that to look forward to every night. And there's actually a lot more poems about kind of like sleeping and all of that, that I didn't end up using in the collection, but it is, it's a unique, it's a unique, uh, like little gift every night, you know, Mm. to get to have that time where you're just like laying there with someone you love and trust is really nice. And uh, yeah, there's a couple of poems like that in there. Um, 
There was one, oh, in love, I think of as being a very similar kind of like okay. bedroom poem, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there's a, I mean, I tried to, there's a couple like that in there, but I tried not to have a ton that are, I think my second book has a lot more of that yeah. kind of stuff in it. <laughs> You know, the idea obviously it was sleep and that, but the idea of like these offices too, there's, I believe it's actually called insomnia and it's back to back with yeah. a good, a good sleep. I mean, just direct, you yeah. know, um, juxtaposition. Absolutely. I'm happy that you noticed that. Um, so I had extremely bad insomnia, like my whole, uh, like high school kind of a little bit past that. And that whole idea of like, oh, but now I'm sleeping and just sleep is something I've thought about. So for, for, you know, for decades, trying to have a good sleep habits. And like, right. So yeah, sleep comes up a lot in there because it's something that comes up a lot in my life too. Just like skincare, I think comes up a lot in here because it's sure. in my life a lot too. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right what you know, I guess. <laughs> All right. Um, towards the end of the collection is one of the, one of the lines is, is the, is the mood simmering or cooling? Is this yeah. as good as it gets? Peak right before the rot. You know, and again, that's not the exact same thing, but you know, opposites. I, I always, yeah. I, I go back to that Foo Fighter song, Everlong. Oh, it's, what is it? I don't know if I know right? it. Well, it, just the whole idea of the song is just like this. You know, can we can we keep this moment? Like this is as good as it gets. You know, like even thinking about it, am I ruining the moment? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or that ecstasy before the consequences kick exactly. in. Exactly. Enjoying it, but you know the other. The tomorrow's going to come, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's so funny with that line that you were just talking about is the peak right before the rot. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was late summer 2016. Mm -hmm. So things got, in my opinion, like much worse in America after this and like a lot oh, of stuff. what do you what do you mean total coincidence <laughs> like right? oh yeah that whole oh my yes that yeah what a what a transformational time right yeah it was incredibly transformational oh. um and so for i when i look back at this at that line i that always sticks out to me of like uh, wondering like is it just going to keep getting better is it going to get worse oh wow yeah written but I, you know i didn't know that was going to happen when i wrote it but i think that that's something i think a lot about now how these poems would be my experience of that time would be so different if it happened even one summer later. It wouldn't be just like lounging around with my friends as much. You know, there'd be a right. Little, yeah, these are like you know how like with the Richter scale, like a, like a nine point two is not like one tenth more than nine point one. It's like a hundred times, right, or ten times. Yeah, that's like these last six years have been twenty seven. You know yes. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really that is something I think about so much. I look back at this collection is um, how different it was for me back mm-hmm. then my for the new book I'm working on is a lot about like motherhood and grief and like COVID and like all that kind of stuff and um these definitely seem breezier in comparison right um you know I didn't have a kid I was like it's just about like being in love with my husband and like hanging yes. out on the porch and like <laughs> all that nice stuff and uh it kind of is like little did I know what a big change was coming and yeah. all these new things that were going to happen and um, yeah. Beautiful things, but different things. Yeah. You remember different you remember, things. Yeah. Remember free time. Remember that? Remember <laughs> just that? barely, just yeah. barely. I mean, it's crazy. The impact, um, like motherhood has on a writing motherhood or fatherhood mm. has on writing schedule. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Have you read, yeah. um, have you read, uh, have you read night bitch by Rachel Yoder? No, is it, I haven't. Is it good? Oh, so good. Really? It's, Wait, so I mean, night, 
Night Vitch. Night Vitch. Pardon the oh, pardon nice. expression. Awesome. But, but, you know, it's this idea of like, uh, like becoming that, becoming that feral creature. Yes. That we, that we are as parents, especially when we have little ones, right? Yeah. I mean, that newborn stage, you really oh. are just like in your own world with them. You're awake at different times. Like, I feel like I wouldn't look at my phone for like, it was just so different. Yeah. I was going to say, I actually wrote like a ton of poems, kind of just like on little scrap paper and stuff when uh, she, my daughter was born and I thought I lost them all. And I was so sad. And then I found them a couple months ago and it was truly like one of the best, one of the best feelings. I'm so happy. (laughs) They captured what that moment was like for me. And so I'm really happy about that. Contemporaneous notes is what they call it in politics. Yes, yeah, right? contemporaneous notes. Oh, spontaneous man. Always a writer. Good for you. Writing it down in those times. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> sometimes it's more for uh, self-preservation. Are you sure? Writing, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to kind of, uh, what's the word? I have to kind of interrogate my own things with like with like Kafka and uh, Metamorphosis. I I read it so long ago, and I know it's a classic. I just, I just felt like it's too on the nose. But this, the Rachel Yoder one I'm talking about, like, could have easily been on the nose but she just nails it so is like, it a poem or a book no it's a book oh, you know, okay. it's, it's fiction because you know um you know rachel didn't really turn into a dog like the, yeah. the character did <laughs> but it's just this <laughs> idea of like you know like a physical manifestation of your feelings yeah that just oh, works that. works so well oh man yeah yeah that right. sounds really like apps <laughs> exactly so you know the more we talk about like this being quite collection you know, there's some some lines in in the collection about quote self destruction over no destruction yeah. unquote, and the quote opposite of disappearing unquote. So it's this like happiness, sadness, and kind of you know you sometimes you think of like neutral as just that, but sometimes neutral is like plus seven minus seven equals that. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's actually I think you put it better than I did in the poem. Honestly, that's yeah. exactly right. Like this idea of like. Just, yeah, you're adding to subtract. Um, Mm -hmm. And that one specifically, I think I'm talking about trying to control my weight when I was younger. Right. um, And kind of trying to, I was almost sort of like, in a trying to communicate something with that. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times, especially as like a teenage girl, your body is so, like, it's so important. It's something that is always like, looked at and talked about Mm -hmm. um but it's also something that you're very much taught to be like ashamed of and like uh so I think that um it's something that I really wanted to like at at that time in my life I was like I want to be 100% in control of this Mm -hmm. and I would rather like destroy my body than let somebody else be in control of it um just kind of like you know like burning your own oil fields or like start like um like, you know, burning the land before the other soldiers cross it. Hmm. Um, and I think that's really how I felt at the time that, not when I wrote this, but at the time I was writing it about. But that was another poem where, you know, I wrote this and then uh, right after the book comes out, there was Russia invading Ukraine. And oh, um, wow. and I was like, oh, so not the best timing to use this as a metaphor mm-hmm. for this Um so that was kind of another one of those things, like how much can change with how a poem's understood based yes. on what happens after it comes out, you know? No doubt. Did would you, would you have been able to articulate at the time, like the whole idea of like self-destruction over no destruction? Or was that something that came no. with perspective? I would have just been like, no, no. I right. mean, maybe, but I don't think, I think I didn't know enough about why I was feeling what I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, 
now I write a ton um, for like the LA review of books, especially about like understanding adolescent girls and the way that they kind of go through the world and the talents that they have and like the skills they have and the hardships. And I think that internal mindset is something I'm just always interested in. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I get, they're not exactly the same thing, but like nostalgia and lost love come up a lot throughout as like a, yeah. as like themes. Right. And it's not, it's not all sadness. Like, Oh my, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's both sadness and happiness. Like you said, that, that balance each other out. Um, the even keeled again, we keep coming back to like to zero to like a zero yeah. sum, right? The even yeah. keels, I mean, correct if I'm wrong, it's kind of about like a like kind of like a crazy 20s, like a lot of us had, yeah. or, or more crazy than the 30s, and stopping oh, for yeah. breath. And then it's now like mild marked by quote unquote inertia. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's this stillness that happens. Well, hopefully when you get older, but at least as you like mature where you're not whipped around so much by everything mm-hmm. and you kind of want that inertia, but also the inertia can sometimes be a result of any sort of like hardships sure. that you've had where you become, yes. it's harder to kind of fluster you. You know what I mean? Um, one thing that's interesting about that poem is I noticed that was like shared online by a lot of like veteran groups. Oh wow! And that made me be like, Oh my gosh, this sounds almost like a PTSD poem. Mm. And then like, I saw a jet take out the sun. I continued. So seeing it picked up by that community changed the way that I like understood my own poem and Mm -hmm. a lot. I like it a lot more. Their sort of reading of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Even you're right. It's always about trying to get back to zero or that equilibrium all throughout the book. I hadn't realized that, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, and the, um, when you're talking about like the what what you were, you were just saying right now, kind of reminded me more of you were talking about how I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it like you did, but I'm thinking more of that because of all these crazy events, good and bad, mostly mostly if they're bad ones, it's tough to make decisions. Like you're frozen by. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's super true too, and it just you're not gonna move one way or the other because you're. Kind of, yeah, you're still in your frozen, like processing mode and can exactly. make you very risk averse. Right. Um, and I guess it's just finding a way for, to make anything that happens to you into like your sort of like superpower, right? Mm-hmm. So like maybe, you know, I'm someone who really needs like a lot of like quiet to, like I get very overstimulated very easily. And then just finding ways that like I can make that into something that's like good about me and like make it back to at least an even yes. thing. Yeah. Um, but I think the goal of being even keeled is something that has always, I think that's one of the best traits somebody can have. Okay. Being very even keeled. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's even in poems, you know, you don't want anything to be all the way sad or all the way happy, but kind mm. of just those two elements competing and complementing each other. Yeah. Um, is always going to be more true, probably. <laughs> the, uh, Philadelphians are not known for for their even keel, right? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's why when I stopped and I got to Virginia. Philly, go. I mean, yeah. Philly <laughs> is kind of very rough and reactive in the best mm. possible way. There you go. And I think I was very reactive when I lived there. I thought I did so well in cities and then I moved to someplace a little more rural and I was like, oh, I actually do a lot better in this environment. But I do <laughs> I miss Philly sometimes. There's obviously a lot about romantic love. This one's more maybe like parental love is is called Mother Mary. Um, the yeah. lines are the lines are my thoughts miss your thoughts. 
your thoughts are missing from my sense. I'll be nicer now that I've exacted my revenge. Run back to me. My love remains unruined. That's beautiful and, Thank you. and moving and affecting and the whole deal. Um, I wonder about the my thoughts miss your thoughts. Is it is it missing in the true sense of the word, like I miss you, or is it also like my thoughts and your thoughts don't match? They're... So I was hoping it'd sort of be both. Uh-huh. Like, um, but it was also so in French, you would say like to me monk to mean like I miss you, but it literally translates to like you are missing from me. Uh-huh. And that's something I think about a lot with like missing somebody, whether it's like a parent or like unrequited love or something. Mm. Um where it's like, it's almost like this person is part of what makes you whole. So it's not like I miss you. It's like, you're missing from me Uh right now. Um, And with my thoughts, miss your thoughts. That's also sort of the idea of like, when you have a really good partner, they become like a sounding board for you. Mm -hmm. And so you can run things by them. And then since they're also smart, your ideas get better. Mm -hmm. And so when they're gone, you don't have that extra um like ability like that extra um to like talk things out with them Mm -hmm. maybe there's someone who calms you down or like hypes you up whatever it is it's like once they're not there your thoughts miss them um yeah so this can definitely be with like parents and yeah how that kind of can go these ones i would think you know definitely more romantic love like exigence and love and bones um oh yeah there's um you know I should have just screamed at him, take your eyes off, rewind, baby. I'm doing my good show for you. Like the things are happening now. Like, don't worry about the TV, yeah. like what, you know, living in the here and now. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I assume. Um, actually, I'm sorry. That might be from love and bones. It might be. I think that one's from bone week, but they're oh, all okay. right near each other in the book. Yeah. All about a very similar time. The, the, uh, like the rec trying to decide about reconciliation perhaps yes. would be like a way to think about it. And that feeling of like missing somebody you love. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that bone week poem is true. I kept finding uh, chicken bones. I mean, one thing about right. them, every there's bone, there's like <laughs> bones on, on every block from people just like <laughs> eating food. Um, and, but then someone was like, no, that means that um, you and your boyfriend are going to get like this old lady was like, uh, you and your boyfriend are going to get back together. And I was mm. like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the, so I, I guess this is from exigence then would be like, uh kind of ellipses quote proves the un- unre- unrelentingness of my love i'm sisyphus happily trying to kiss the boulder i love that idea of like a happy sisyphus right yeah or, or trying not so to that's, kiss unhappily. that's uh the last line of oh i can't believe i can't think of it now um where camus says one must imagine sisyphus happy because you're uh, going to always be doing these sort of unrelenting tasks where you don't make progress um but you have to have this like internal mindset that will to be like happy when you do it. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of where that idea came from of trying to be like a smiling Sisyphus hmm. trying to get over somebody or whatever right. your task is. And I'll just, I'll just let these last lines kind of ruminate quote, the sun rolls down the night, imagining him, imagining me. I love that. Imagining him, imagining me catching greyhound after greyhound as if love is a place one can flee. Yes. Yes, that is exactly how that felt. (laughs) Right? Yeah. The imagining him, imagining me. It's very true where, you know, oh, what would he think right now? Or the idea of wondering how you're being perceived. And Mm. 
the idea of you know magma and you know this it's, it's the remnants of love come out throughout this poem as well as this obviously yeah. magma's hot passion you know um mm -hmm. quote we were i think this is the way the poem ends we were always mostly ending no i'm sorry the the last image was of like no yeah you were right i mean that's right. not the exact last line but yeah as if you could I... like as if they're porcupine quills that you could take out you know this remnants of love like this idea yeah. that even the the relationships that didn't work or whatever or the love that you know has faded like there's always that those remnants we were most right. we were always mostly ending is such a great description of a relationship maybe i took it as like one that you just know wasn't going to work interesting maybe. yeah maybe so i always think of it i mean for me that whole idea was something about if a very good beginning to love is just going to last forever in mm -hmm. a way like sure. even if you don't stay with that person they're still gonna have okay. like an ember mm -hmm. and it's exactly like you can't pick it out like porcupine quills where it's like removed mm -hmm. it's like always kind of there and informing you and um so for the line we we're always mostly endings I guess for me I didn't when I wrote it I didn't think of it as like a doomed relationship uh -huh. but as a relationship with a lot of exit doors Okay. That a lot of chances to end it. Maybe a lot of times you did end it. Like a, just some of any type of relationship where there's like a lot of endings or ch chances oh. to leave or things like that. Um, sometimes I think you can feel like really like maybe like trapped in a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and this, I guess, would be almost expressing the opposite of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense what you're saying too, especially like the, the idea of like, the absence and making the heart grow fonder and yeah that you're always leaving an ending there's always an ending there's always a door like you said there's always a yeah. door to get back in yeah so that though is definitely a poem about like uh missing a beloved for sure mm -hmm. and like kind of I guess also like hold like on, like honoring and being happy about the embers that are still there and kind of like sure wanting that back I actually wrote that poem specifically in an effort to get my then ex-boyfriend, now husband, to get back together with me. And it worked. <laughs> nice. And so when it got published, I like sent it to him. Like, uh, you know, when it got oh. published, I think it was like six years ago or something. And uh, I was like, oh, this will be a good way to. Yes. You can go. <laughs> they said, they said, po they say poetry can't change the world. Yeah, it, but it, it can. absolutely can. <laughs> wow. Or at least your own world. <laughs> what a cool, yeah, exactly. What a cool story. Yeah, yeah. So that's also a very special poem to me for that reason. Uh-huh. Again, like these themes are, are overlapping, but ideas of like of heritage and cycles. And there's, a, I love the line, quote, seeing the daughter in your mother. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've, I mean, that's something I think about so much now, mm. especially now that I have my own daughter. It's a lot of what my next book that I'm like working on is about. Mm -hmm. And just this, I think a lot of people have this urge where, like, I wish I could be my mother's mother. Like, I could have been uh, the one that raised her. And, like, I yes. think I would have done really good. <laughs> and I think she really deserved <laughs> that kind of. Um, uh, but, yeah, yeah, I really do see the daughter and in, in my mother a lot. My mom is all through this this book yes, and no my doubt. next book. I'm very close with her. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I think that's something that I was just beginning to realize and think about when this book came out, but is now something I think about nonstop. <laughs> what a beautiful tribute. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I've heard in some, in some iteration I've heard before, like seeing the, seeing your mother and your daughter, but seeing the daughter and your mother is so creative. Oh, thank so, you. That's a cool it, image. Yeah. 
and their, you know, your child, their childhood is, is going to inform your childhood. And mm-hmm. yeah. I, I have so much I, I want to say about my mother, you know, like you said, just, just a beloved, just a total mama's boy. And it's like, when I've, when I've tried to write, it's come off as I've tried to write it as fiction. It's come off as, you know, thinly veiled nonfiction. So I'm still working because she deserves her own collection. She deserves her own, you know, oh, so does my mom. right. Right. <laughs> It's so hard to write about them without what I realized with myself is when I try to write about my mom in the ways that she seems like perfectly uncomplicated to me, it never rings true. Hmm. But when I try to look at what she's, she's trying to improve on and think through and how that's informed what I'm thinking through and how that's bonded us, those turn out a lot better. I've definitely written some that are just like, my mom's the best. And some probably that are like, my mom's the worst. (laughs) <laughs> but neither of those are really true it's more just like my mom is my mom forever yes. and I love her so exactly I was really interested in um again there, you have so many great poems and so many quantity wise poems that, you know maybe hard to remember but you have the slowing oh yes yes and the poem again the quiet the slowness of your poems and again that's a, a huge compliment I mean it's a compliment no the I appreciate po- that the poem itself is thin and long you know Mm-hmm. It forces you to slow down. Yeah. Um, through the, or- sorry, though the orbit of my recall is elongating, the poem literally elongates. Yeah. Though the orbit of my recall recall is elongating and her image passes by me, God knows less and less lately. Ha. Hell reduced to a shudder before sleeping, et cetera, et cetera. So I just kind of wonder about like, whether you want to talk about that specific poem, but just how like craft or or, or format informs the poems and you know vice the, yeah. the, the subject matter of the poems and vice versa so I did want this to be a long skinny poem almost like a sickle or something like a skinny uh, moon okay. um but the line about the orbit was thinking like um you know when something has a short orbit as it passes by you like mm-hmm. you're thinking about it all the time because it's always coming by but as you get start to get over something it's like that it the orbit elongates and it's still there and it's still coming around you, but it's just less and less and the impact is smaller. So something that used to like, you know, maybe make you sick to your stomach when you thought of it. Now you're just kind of like, Oh, (laughs) or like, haha, like you can laugh at it. Um, And there's such a joy and ecstasy in those moments. Hmm. And that's kind of what I was trying to talk about this. um, When there's a finally like a dead danger, like something you'd been worried about. And you've been coping with or whatever. And then it's, you realize this isn't something that I need to be so worried about anymore. This isn't something that's uh, consuming me anymore. And that it can, you can feel powerful kind of as it happens. And Ooh, easier said than done, right? That's yeah, put, so much easier said than like done. Like really so much putting that thing to done. rest. That's, but, but yeah, it is, you're right. It's, it's a very, uh, very singular happiness, relief, all the above. Yeah. Right? It's when you ever get that moment where you've realized you've overcome something or at least mm. you've lowered it to a decibel where it's not going to destroy you anymore. Mm. It's kind of you have to be so grateful for those moments and just like, right. oh, it's gone. I can think about these topics or I can go to these places. And mm. so, yeah, anytime a danger goes away, it's very, especially if it's one you kind of conquered, so it feels good. I wonder if, um, you know, I have a couple of suggestions, but I wonder, you know, it's up to you if you could read one of one of your poems. Oh, absolutely. I would love to. Um, hey, I'll, should I, I'll read the slowing. Perfect. I think, okay. Perfect. 
Unless there's another one you want me to read. No, I'd love for you to read that one. Yeah. Should I read like two or maybe maybe Magma also? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll read Magma. That was one of my first ones that got like really positive feedback. And then they put it in their anthology and stuff. after. That was really nice. Oh, cool. So this one's called The Slowing. The moon toe tagging black sky, waxing crescent coil of white hair. My dog and I round the corner. The memory will return like night returns, like waxing moons, though the orbit of my recall is elongating and her image passes me by, God knows, less and less lately. Ha. Hell reduced to a shudder before sleeping. I've waited and walked for years before smiling tonight at that danger, dead danger. And then this next one is magma. Time tapped forward as constant as a dial tone. The spaces of not you have been filled, I wrote. It's funny, isn't it? How even a short story can have a long ending and we were always mostly endings. Now I know that. But at the start, drunk on farm rooftops, we looked about as endless as the highway that stretched like hot toffee out of Harrisonburg. We didn't know that one false step meant falling. I read that the energy from the Big Bang still heats the earth. Five billion years have passed. Rocks and mountains have appeared and dissolved again like ice into whiskey. And the core of the planet is still molten from its creation, even when the rind is laced with dew. I've picked the last parts of you out of me like porcupine quills, I added. One particularly dewy day inside my core was playing. I love the the idea of the space. Was it the space of not you? Yeah, yeah. I guess that comes up a lot now that we've been talking about this idea of like, you are missing from me. Your thoughts are missing from me. The space where you would have been mm-hmm. is now empty. Right. Yeah, yeah. I just think of like a ACBC type of thing, right? Like before yes. you, after you, like when you weren't there, like it's a different. Yeah. Time. I mean, to go back to Andrea Cohen, she has that poem, like before the incident, where it's like before the incident, we didn't have the phrase before the incident. Huh. And I think it's kind of like that. Right. Yeah. That A, yeah, BCAD thing someone twitter recently was about like what's what's a comfort book of yours yeah i i don't have to put more thought into it i mean i have a few but like i remember when i was a teenager like i just um i'm not i I love hemingway's short stories but i wasn't a fan of his novels necessarily but you know the old man in the sea is just like i just picture like reading that like on the the little beach chair by my by my grandma's pool yeah, that's your comfort you know, book. That that that's was. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I you know I haven't read it in years, but that was. Yeah. Um, but I feel like you know your your collection is is a is a comfort book for sure. Thank and that's you. not. And again, that's not to cheapen it. Like I mean, it's there's no. so much going on in it, but it's just like there's there's so much um, beauty in nature. There's so much about love. There's so much about lost love, nostalgia that it's just like such a comforting read that's the word I keep that makes back me to. so happy to hear that's pretty that's very much was like something that I like in poetry mm-hmm. and um a coziness I think yeah. and I think a lot of the poems I read or the collections I read tend to be really sad and one thing I like about again Marianne Baruch is she has this happiness like in her writing um and I was surprised when I printed out my collection for the first time and read it that there was so much about like happiness, yes, love in it for all the sad parts in it too. No doubt. But so I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. No doubt. Tell us, um, if you would about, um, you know, where to where to get where to buy Honey Month. I mean, you can buy you know multiple places, but maybe a, a favorite like indie bookstore, and then maybe a little so, bit about what's coming up. 
So the best place to buy it is through um, the publisher's website, which okay. is Main Street Rag. And you can also buy it through my website, which okay. is sadieshoreparks.com. Oh. Um, actually, this is the last thing I have on my schedule for a couple of weeks. So I guess I would plug, like, just check that stuff out. <laughs> very cool. Your your students are very lucky to have you. Continue, oh, thank you. Continue good luck with, with teaching and um, and with your work. And again, uh, just so happy to read a a 70 pager that I thought might have, you know, 20 poems and maybe five would be, you know, you know, 20 poems, but it, ha- it has so many, it makes you, it makes it, it's just, I just really like the, the variety, even though we talk about a lot of, you know, similar yeah. themes, I just like the variety, even of the, of the, the, the style, you know, some more prose and stuff. So again, long story short, thank you so much and, and continue. Great. Thank luck you, to you for the close reading of my work and the amazing questions. And this was an, I really enjoyed this and I really appreciate all the care. So thank you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. And like I said, continue great luck. It's been awesome talking to you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your night. You too. Again, a huge thanks to Sadie Shore Parks for being part of the Chills of Will podcast. I really enjoyed reading her work and speaking with her. You can now subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills of Will podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills of Will PO1. You can watch this episode on YouTube. Watch and subscribe to the Chills of Will podcast channel. Please subscribe to both my YouTube channel and my podcast while you're checking out this episode. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look in an often ignored art form. Please watch out for more information about the Patreon, which will be beginning in October of this year. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down instrumental and the other song played on the episode was hoops instrumental by matt whitehour both songs are used through archesaudio.com please tune in for episode 143 with nima avashia nima was born and raised in southern west virginia to indian immigrant parents and she has been a civics and history teacher in the boston public schools since 2003 she is the author of another appalachia coming up queer and indian in a mountain place published in March 2022. That episode will air on September 27th. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these quarantine days bring you works by writers with mad skills like Sadie Shore Parks, whose work, like Honey Month, bring you chills at will. (laughs) 